from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a regular on the program, a two-time sports business classroom graduate. He, uh, he does draft prospect reports on RollCallSportsNet.com. That's RollCallSportsNet.com. An excellent site. He's uh, he's put together a lot of great content. If you're trying to prep and get ready for this upcoming NBA draft, you can also find him on Twitter at s zahn. That's z a h n underscore b ball. That's his Twitter handle. Stuart Zahn. Stuart, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you having me, Garrett. It's been a while, so hopefully I can knock off the rest early. <laughs> also wanted to specify that. I'm a two-time graduate. I didn't just go. I did graduate both times. I went to SBC. Just, just wanted to note that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's where we met in the, the, the 2018 sports business classroom. And then I believe, yeah, you took it again the following year in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yep. So obviously he, he knows his stuff. He's uh, spent a lot of time over this last year uh, watching college basketball, watching these prospects. So uh, he uh, absolutely is, a, is an expert on a lot of these guys. I have, uh, as I was mentioning to Stuart before we recorded, I have uh, sort of binged the last three or four days uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of highlights and, and scouting reports on these guys to, to get a sense and kind of looked over, dabbled over the, uh, the recently completed NBA draft combine that mm-hmm. happened. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go through and, and kind of talk about Stewart's sort of big board. And uh, I will uh, give my thoughts as to, you know, if I agree, disagree, feel a little differently about the different prospects. But uh, yeah, Stuart, let's get started. And uh, the, the first guy that you seem to have on your board, and he seems to be a general consensus across the league, it uh, looks to be Oklahoma State's Cade Cunningham as the number one overall pick and a guy that uh, it seems you believe should be in his own tier as well. Yes, I have him at his, in his own tier. I have him, in my mind, locked as the number one pick. I get that other people might like Mobley or or even Green, but but in my eyes, like having a big point guard like Cade um, is the kind of franchise building block that you want moving forward. Um, we could sit here and talk about Cade's uh, game on the court for probably a whole podcast in itself. Um, we could also do a whole podcast on, you know, the kind of leader that he is as well. You can see it on film. Like I haven't seen Cade in, live in person or anything like that, um, all on film, but you can kind of see the way he handles um mistakes like turnovers or maybe 
his teammate doesn't catch a pass or something like that. He's always um, positive and you can tell his, his leadership and his confidence carries over to the rest of the team. Yeah. And he seems to be a very competitive guy. One of uh, one of the best clutch shot makers in college basketball last season. And at six, eight has the prototypical wing size that you want out of that position also shot the ball incredibly well from, from really all areas of the floor, but especially, and uh, most probably importantly for NBA scouts, the three point line. And so, you know, to me, I think one of the things that separates him from most of the prospects in this class is, you know, there, there are some concerns. He's not a perfect prospect. He's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's not the quickest guy. He doesn't blow by guys on a lot of occasions, but just the size, the decent athleticism, as you mentioned, seemingly a pretty good personality, good leader, just a good kid combined with the, the skill set that he has. He's a solid passer. He can handle the basketball. He can shoot. Means that his floor is pretty high. I mean, I, I would be shocked if he's not a quality starting wing in the NBA fairly soon. Yep, and I would, I would agree with you there. Um, I think the athleticism is a fair point he didn't display it um, in the same way that he did at times in AAU um, where I think he had some, some better dunks or some better looking dunks, but really I think, you know, his overall coordination is at a level that's um, that's what you'd want for a number one pick someone you'd want uh, the ball in his hands, you know, possession after possession. Um, And I think, He's not he's not an athlete that can't um, get a little bit better also in certain areas. You know, he didn't he didn't have like the greatest first step, but I think that's something that marginal improvements on can really help him out. Um, and then when you talked about the shooting, that's something that was a big question mark going into the year. And he he answered that emphatically. Shooting, what was it, 40 something percent? I got it right here. Yep, 40 on the dot. 40% 84.6 free throw percentage. So considering that was a question mark and he answered that, um, you know, there's just not a lot to, to really be discouraged about him as a prospect. Yeah. And, and one of the things, you know, I, I'll, I'll invoke this name and, and, and by no means am I saying that he's going to be as good or I expect him to be as good. I don't, uh, but Luca, he reminded me a little bit of Luca in terms of his, especially his patience in the pick and roll game. And, you know, yes, there, there were even concerns with Luca as well about, okay, can he just beat a guy off the dribble on a switch? You know, that was a big concern for, for Luca coming out and why he wasn't the consensus number one in that draft, I think. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cade, I think, has similar versatility. You see he can post up a little bit. And, again, he's got that good size. If you've got a smaller guy, he can post him up. If you put a, you know, a, a bigger guy on him, he, he is quick enough, athletic enough to beat him off the dribble. And then if he's got a guy that is really challenging him from an athleticism and size standpoint, he can use a screen and get to his spots, especially if the opposition is playing that conventional pick and roll defense. Um, the, I'm curious to get your take on this. Cause again, just watching the, the small amount of film that I did on him, the, 
you know, despite the fact that he has the size to see over the defense and, and read and make those skip passes, I felt like he lacked a little bit of zip on those cross court feeds. I think that's a fair point. Um, it's not something I'm super worried about considering his size. It's possible he needs to just like tighten up his core a little bit more to, to get those passes out. But I don't think that's a very um, difficult fix. And as for the, the Luca comparison, um, there definitely are similarities, but I think one thing that really um, separates Luca from all the other prospects is his shiftiness and his balance is elite. Whereas like Kate has a little bit of it where he's got his, his stutter it move, but like Luca's using that at all times to keep the defender off balance. And like, that's just such a special trait. And I think, when I, when I say Kate is like the number one prospect in his own tier at the top of this draft, that doesn't necessarily mean he's in this top tier of all prospects across all drafts. So I think, right. um, I think it is fair to have him, you know, a notch or two below some of these, you know, Zions or Lucas of our, you know, the past couple drafts here. Yeah. The, to me, the the thing that, yeah, you, you mentioned, and yeah, again, I, I want to make sure everyone understands, yeah, I don't think he's anywhere near as good of a prospect as Luca was, um, and in part because outside of the jump shooting, I don't think like in terms of his passing, his feel, his pick and roll manipulation, those aren't even on the same level as Luca. They're all decent to good, but uh, not... I would argue much more than decent, but yes. <laughs> yeah, um, but... Uh, yeah, not anywhere near the just the elite, like some of the best we've ever seen in those mm-hmm. uh, in those areas from Luca. But one of the the games that really stood out to me was um, one of the two losses that Baylor had on the year was to Oklahoma State, and in that game, Cade was beating a variety of defenders, and and Baylor's stacked with with good defenders, so he was beating Davion Mitchell sometimes, you know, getting him on a mismatch in the post, or he was taking Jonathan Chamwa Chachua out. And, and Chachua is a guy who has like six, eight, seven, three wingspan, like huge guy. And he's taking him off the dribble for jumpers. Like no matter what defender they had on him, he was, uh, you know, getting to his spots and scoring with a team that didn't have a whole lot of spacing around him. So I, I thought that game was, um, Probably out of all the the games he played, that was kind of the one that really stood out to me as like his prospect game that if you saw that, you'd be like, okay, I understand why he should be the number one pick. Yeah. And I think, you know, everybody is so concerned about, okay, what are these guys, what are the guys strengths? I think it's almost equally important, especially for a guy that uh, is hopefully going to be a primary initiator is to just not have weaknesses that the defense can exploit. You know, you can't go under the screen against him because he can hit the three. You can't put just a puny guy on him. That's quick because mm-hmm. he can post him up. You know, that it's, it's the lack of weaknesses, the versatility offensively that I think sets him apart for, especially from the rest of the pack in this particular draft. But uh yeah, let's let's move on to the next guy you had on your uh, on your board, and that is Evan Mobley, the seven foot center that uh, seemingly is, uh, uh, you know, close to as versatile as uh, as Cunningham is, just from the big position. Yeah, so I have him in his own tier, 
um, at two. And what I mean by that is when I have Cade in his own tier at one, that means number one pick is going to be Cade. It's a lock for me, at least. Yeah. Mobley at number two, he's a lock for me. Yeah, and I should I, I mean, should I should yeah. emphasize that we're not doing we're we're not talking in in terms of mock drafts at this point. We're we're purely yeah. saying like if we were the teams, you know, who would we regardless or, of team, right? Who yeah, we, like, who do we like? Be one, Mobley be two. Yeah. Um. So when I when I watched Mobley, he uh, he really jumped off the page to me on on really on both ends, but especially defensively his length and his anticipation he he seemingly was in the right place a lot of times and uh, i was actually listening to uh, the the dunked on podcast they started doing their episodes on the different prospects and one of the things they said about mobley which you know i i think was was a good point was that he sort of blocked shots like tim duncan in in a lot of respects where it's it's not he's trying to jump out of the gym and swat it. He's mostly on the ground. He's jumping after the offensive player mm-hmm. has already left his feet. And that results in him not only getting a lot of blocks where he can keep the ball on the court, which can lead to transition opportunities, but also he, he doesn't commit a lot of fouls either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mobley really displayed his, his special very consistently, um, especially on the defensive end. And when you talk about some of those blocks, he was mirroring guys' jumps. Like as they're, you know, some people can get like a quick floater off of two. He's still mirroring that jumping and blocking that shot, you know, utilizing his length. And like every time I watched him, just like the way he moved, he's so elegant with and fluid and didn't seem like there was much wasted motion with everything that he was doing. It just always kind of captivated me when I was watching his film like outside of the basketball skill, just his movement skills in general always caught my eye. And and he's a guy that, you know, we we're pegging him as a center right now, but you know, with, with his coordination, he might be able to do a little bit more with the ball in his hand and time he might, you know, could run some pick and roll like at seven feet tall, you know, he could be a guy that could be an incredible mismatch um, in a lot of different ways. And, and I think uh, one thing was <clears throat> in the post, like he's got great footwork. Um, and he's got great skill in there. He has a hook shot from probably like eight to 10 feet out even. And there was one game in the tournament against Kansas, I think, um, where they had like Marcus Garrett on him. And Garrett kind of like got into him a little bit and could like force him out but at the end of the day like he could still just shoot over the smaller player so like yeah. i think uh, in in time he's gonna get a little bit stronger and he's gonna be able to like take better control of those mismatches and then on the perimeter like if he shoots and it looks like he's got a pretty clean projection to shoot like the sky's the limit for him yeah one well, and frankly he needs to get stronger i think that's his biggest problem right now he's what around 210 to 220 pounds something around yeah. there um he probably needs to add i would say at least 20 pounds to his frame which i think is very doable i think that's one of the you know when i when i think of things that prospects can improve on just getting in the weight room a little bit i think is is uh is one that's you know one of the easier things to accomplish mm-hmm. but uh yeah the 
The interesting thing defensively, you mentioned that, yeah, he's probably capable of playing some four given his ability to move his feet. Uh, and, and again, given his lack of strength right out of the gate, I think he'll have to play the four. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll get bullied too much at the, at the center position right off the, the bat. It's uh, hard to think of a, a starting center that he would be stronger than <laughs> right. and start his career. I was kind of like doing that thought exercise earlier in the season. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if there is a guy like maybe Neurons Noel. Uh, he's kind of thinner too, but like he probably plays with more physicality at this point. So, I mean, yeah, but like that was another thing I was going through is like at the number two pick, and this was before the lottery um, picks were decided, but uh, or the lottery order. I was thinking like if I was number, if I was any team and I got the number two pick, like theoretically, would I pass on Mobley? Like, if I was the Nuggets and I had Jokic, would I pass on Mobley? No. If I was the T-Wolves, who are probably more likely, and I had Towns, would I pass on Mobley? No. So I think I was starting to to understand he could play the four, too. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. And, you know, obviously we, we both think that he has the ability to switch some I guess I'm curious as to how elite you feel he is at that particular skill. Like, is this a guy that is, is that like sort of a Draymond green level as a big that can, can defend on the perimeter or is he, you know, a little lesser than that, but still solid. I would say a little bit lesser, but solid. Yeah. Um, I think he's a guy that really understands um, how far his length reaches so he, he's able to, you know, give a little bit of space knowing he can close it quickly with, you know, just how quick he can get off the ground, how quick he can react. Um, so he, he, he has a great sense of where he needs to position himself in a way that he can stay in front and contain, but also get up a worthwhile contest. Yeah, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that he's going to be a, a, a big plus defensively in his career. I think that's probably the um, one of the more obvious bets you could make on a, yeah. a kid like him with his tools, his length. Yeah. Uh, the, the length, like I get that he has a bit of a, a strength deficiency right now, but I think even early in his career, like he's got the length and, you know, with how quick he gets off the floor, like he'll find little ways to win with that just to start his career. And then once the the strength comes around, like, like I said before, sky's the limit for him. Yeah. And you know, the strength, not only is that a concern in terms of just like defending on the block against a Jokic or an Abidi would absolutely yeah. get destroyed, but, but also as a defensive rebounder box out guy, I think that's something that, you know, again, adding, if he gets to about two forty, I think, at that seven feet, I think he'd be pretty great. And, and hopefully he can do that without sacrificing some of that quickness mobility that he has. Mm-hmm. But as far as the, as far as his potential and him reaching like a, an all-star or even above that sort of level, I feel like a lot of it comes down to his offensive game. You mentioned he has, he has a bit of a handle. He's got some post moves. Again, he can kind of get bullied off his spot, which again, strength will help with that. But the shooting is a, a bit of a question mark. Uh, he didn't take a ton of threes. I think he made, what, 12 threes uh, this past season with, with USC. And then also his ability to yeah, continue to sort of refine that, uh, that 
that ball handling so that he can be that short roll guy and get all the way to the rim and finish. Because, uh, you know, another thing we haven't even talked about yet, but what might be his best strength is his passing. So I love him in that short roll sort of uh, position, especially if he can hit that mid-range jumper and tighten that handle to get all the way to the rim consistently. Yeah, he definitely had a lot of just really um, eye-popping flashes with the handle. There's one play in particular against Oregon in the tournament where, you know, he's dribbling on the perimeter and as the defender kind of reaches, that's the, that's the, his reactionary moment was to like cross over in between the legs and attack the paint and then drop it off immediately to a teammate. Um, And it's flashes like those that like in NBA space, like, I don't know if he's beating quicker guards off the dribble, but like, you know, if you're guarding him with a, a four or a five and he, you know, catches out on the perimeter and he's a shooter, if he's a shooter, um, I, I think he'll be a shooter. But and guys are closing out to him. He's going to be able to attack those um, competently and, and make good decisions out of it. And, and you touched on the, the short roll passing, um, but really it's just all of his passing was really smart. Um, yeah. All of it was just you know, scanning the floor quickly, finding where the ball should go and getting the ball there. Like he doesn't, he doesn't take, you know, extra time to make the right decisions. He just, he's, he's pretty selfless in that way. Some, some might say passive at times. Um, I think there were moments at USC where maybe the team could have um, benefited from him being more aggressive. Um, But I think with his talent, it's just going to take, uh, the right coach just kind of like push him to say, Hey, like you got, like you got game, go out there and, and dominate. Um, and I don't think that's going to be a difficult thing to do for him considering his skill level. Yeah. I, uh, when I, when I watched him, I, I could, I could envision him being like the, you know, a second best player on a championship caliber team terms of being your anchor defensively, a versatile defender as well. And then offensively playing, hopefully he'll, he'll have a, a teammate that attracts attention that can get him to be able to attack those four on three situations, similar to how Draymond Green benefited from playing off a guy like Steph Curry. But I think he would be excellent in that sort of role and, and would be a, a championship caliber player. But, uh, yeah, was there anything else on him you wanted to, t- to, to mention before we move to the next sort of tier you have? Yeah, well, we can go on to the next tier. This is the first one. Uh, this next name yes. is the first one where I feel like we have a slight disagreement, not because I don't like this player. I, I, I envision this guy to be a solid starter in the league. I just question the, you know, sort of all-star, superstar potential. But uh, the next guy you had on your list was uh, Franz Wagner from Michigan. So uh, why don't you... Uh, Listeners, you heard that right. It's Franz Wagner. <laughs> yeah, so uh, why don't you make the pitch for why he is the number three po- prospect in this draft and, and you you uh, you like him as much as you do. Yeah. So I also wanted to um, elaborate that he's at the top of a tier of about six six maybe seven guys so i mean there are some other guys that have um have a little bit of a uh of a case for number three as well 
Um, I just prefer Wagner to some of these other guys. And like just off the bat, I think he's, you know, one of the the best or at least most valuable defenders in the draft. Um, you could argue like someone like Davion Mitchell is the best defender in the draft, but I don't think he's going to be even close to the most valuable defender. You know, Franz is, you know, six, nine, you know, seven foot wingspan. Um, he's a guy that I think as a point of def- point of attack defender at his size, like he's pretty incredible getting over screens. Um, and he's a guy that I think can, can stay in front. Uh, and then off the ball is where he provides like the most value value because he is, he is always engaged. He's always in on the play. Um, he's always adjusting his positioning. He's always in the right play or like right spots. Um, I just think he's a, just a, just a complete defender. Um, and a kind of guy that I'd want on my defense in big playoff moments, all playoff, like the whole playoff game. Um, and that's just the defensive side of the floor. Um, Offensively, I understand where people would say I see him more as a uh, like a third, fourth, or fifth option offensively. And I think early on in his career, he'll probably be that. And I think in a lot of times at Michigan, he was that where he was, you know, playing off of Hunter Dickinson. He was a guy that was spotting up or like like Mobley playing kind of passive at times. Um, But there were more than just flashes. I think there were plenty of plays where he was running pick and roll and he was, you know, taking pull up threes if they went under and he was hitting them decently. Um, And then he was, you know, when they did go over, he was carving out drives and he was making plays and like these really nifty interior passes um, that really, you know, takes a lot of, you know, playmaking vision to see kind of around the defender, kind of knowing where your guy is rolling to. Um, So I think I've I've seen enough pieces where if like you put it all together, you can have like a six, nine guy who's kind of has no weaknesses defensively. And then on the offensive end can be another mismatch guy. Like we talk about Mobley potentially running pick and rolls. Like I think Wagner is probably closer to being that guy, that huge pick and roll ball handler. Um, not in the same way of Cade where Cade's doing it like every possession, but someone that can like mix it up. And if you like a certain matchup, you can just have him run a ball screen. Um, and he can, uh, you know, dice up the defense in multiple ways. And he's a guy that, you know, with well over, well over two assisted turnover ratio. He's a guy that I really trust his decision-making in those, um, in those spots. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you comparing the, the idea of, of Mobley and Wagner offensively. And, and I, and, and you've mentioned that you, you think they both maybe have some potential to run pick and roll as the, as the ball handler. I don't see that as much. And I guess the, the reason I'm, I'm much higher on a Mobley is you, you mentioned the, uh, you know, being a good defensive player is important, but depending on the position, your size, uh, your role, different uh, defenders have different levels of value for a team. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell, as a point of attack defender, we'll get to him at some point. 
uh, is not as valuable as a, a wing stopper or, and, and those guys are not as valuable to me as a rim protector and anchor, which I feel like Mobley is. And Wagner is more of that wing wing defender, which, you know, and, and yes, he's capable of some secondary shot blocking rim protection, a la like a, a Robert Covington. But uh, for me, when you look at Wagner offensively, he, uh, he doesn't appear to me to have much of a left hand. He's very right-hand dominant. His, yep. his shooting, I think he was around 34% this year. I think for the people that really like him, they really believe in the shooting for him to become you know, a, a really good three-point shooter. I kind of see him as more being like a 35 36% guy, um, you know, a, a, an okay floor spacer. And then, you know, he's not like the, the greatest athlete in the world either for, for someone that you would hope to have. The, if, if, you're ex, if you're expecting him to be a primary initiator, he doesn't quite have that uh, explosion at the rim that you would, you would hope for. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize him as a primary. Um, I think there could be moments where he could be that, that primary on in certain possessions, but um, one guy that I, I kind of was thinking about with Wagner was um, Hito Turkoglu. Okay. I remember him. Yeah. Um, so just like <clears throat> this Fuller size, Hito was 6'10", I believe. Yeah. So kind of similar in that aspect. Um, I was watching some of his highlights the other day and, and he's got a little more flair or probably a lot more flair, a um, lot more flair and a little bit more shifty. Um, but I think at Wagner's size, I don't think he needs to be, you know, fancy with it or, or, or really all that shifty. I think with, with his size, he can, as long as he's hitting that pull up three, and I guess that's, that might be where, uh, we diverge is I think he's going to be hitting that shot. And if he hits that shot, guys are going to go over. And if they go over, like, he's such a big body that like, he'll just put them in jail and like just start working his way towards the rim in his slow pace. I don't think he needs to be overly quick. Um, and he's just going to slowly collapse the defense and he's a good decision maker. And I trust him to, to make the right reads out of that. Yeah. The, um, you know, the comparison to Turkaloo is interesting. Turkaloo was a 38.4% three point shooter. And, uh, in that uh, 08 09 run in the playoffs for the Magic was his best sort of run. One of my favorite players. Yeah, he, uh, he shot 38.6% from three. So that's kind of where. Big uh, jump right there. Right. So that's where I'm a little worried. You know, yeah. if, if I if I feel like if I was confident that Wagner would get to that level as a, as a three point shooter, yeah, that, that certainly would open up the other elements of his game. Sure. So you can also note his his free throw percentage the past two years uh, at Michigan. It was 83.3 and 83.5. Okay. Um, 133 attempts in his career in college. So not like a ton, but uh, a really strong free throw percentage. Um, I get that that's not a perfect translation to off the dribble shooting. Synergy had him in the 82nd percentile still only 32 possessions but um i think he's a guy that like his form doesn't look complicated at all you know it's just uh it's i think it's pretty compact but 
you know, the release could be a little bit faster, but I don't think that's something that should be too difficult to work on. Um, just speeding that up a little bit more. And if like, if guys are going under, you also just have time to shoot it. And at six, nine, you have a little bit more margin uh, of time to get it off as well. Yeah. And um, that that's a great point with the free throw percentage. So yeah, that's, I, I imagine that's part, partly why you're a little bit more confident in his shooting, getting better than the percentages would have indicated uh, from, from the three point line in Michigan. But uh, yeah, the, the other, the other thing for me, especially at the number three pick, when you talk about, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I do understand that he seems to be a relatively safe bet. I think he's going to be a good player. Again, I would project him to be a starting level player, but even the upside, you, you mentioned a Hito Turkoglu, say he even gets to a Hito Turkoglu level. That's, you know, that's kind of like a lower end all-star sort of level. But that's, that's just on the offensive end. I yeah. think. Yeah. He is, he is much better. Very, very yeah. plus defender that at least in my eyes, I think he projects to be a very plus defender. Um, I think even by like the second half of his rookie year, I think that's when things are going to start clicking and he's going to be like a very solid defender and only going up from there. Um, yeah. I, um, the ceiling of Hito Turkoglu with defense. I think, yeah, that's a <laughs> pretty good. That's a pretty good player. Um, so let's talk about also just one more thing. I just want yeah. to know, um, just like at this number three spot, I think it would be very difficult for me to like actually pick Wagner here. Um, yeah. Kind of the inflection point on my board. It's like someone like Jalen Green, I think would be a lot safer to pick just because I think he he's more likely to produce. Um, and I think in that way, more likely to like retain some of his, his value um, after getting picked, like if you pick Wagner here, he might go into next year average like nine points, you know, two and a half assists, uh, like five rebounds or something. And that's not like some sexy stat line that's like, oh, now we can like, oh, this star is available. We can use Wagner as part of the trade package. Like that's not going to be the way you use Wagner. Like if you're drafting him, you're drafting him as one of your core pieces moving forward. Yeah. Um, and I think some people see him more as like a peripheral player than than like an actual core piece, as I do. All right, and that's where the whole. I mean, this is a whole uh, a whole another podcast entirely. Yeah, whole dra- draft philosophy kind of podcast, right? And you know, the team fit, and would Wagner be better being drafted by a good team or a bad team? But um, you know, you could see a bad if he's on a bad team, them giving him more of those on ball reps to let him improve. But it might be a struggle initially. So it'll be fascinating where where all these guys get taken, and that's why it'll be it'll be fun to 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 go back and after the draft has concluded and and think about what are these fits and if if we feel like they're good. But uh, the the next guy on your list, which I, I thought was a fun little uh, a guy to compare with Wagner, mm-hmm. and I actually like this particular player more than Wagner, and that is Scotty Barnes from Florida State, and. To me, I like Barnes as a defender more than uh, than Wagner. I think he's uh, he's got a little bit more length. I think his wingspan is a little bit longer. I, I think he's a he's a a better athlete. 
and uh, he's better mover for sure. Better mover. He's a little bit bigger, stronger, uh, and the you know he's got the the ball skills and the passing and a lot of that stuff that Wagner has. The only seemingly the only issue with Scotty Barnes is the is the jumper. And that's, when I that's watched the differentiator for me, yeah, when I watched that him shoot the basketball, I uh, I was cringing on a number of occasions, <laughs> and it gave me a little bit of hit. Now Barnes's release is a little bit higher, but mm-hmm. he his shot reminded me a little bit of Stanley Johnson, where mm-hmm. there's not much of a, a flick of the wrist. And yeah, anytime yeah. you you bring up Stanley Johnson, who is frankly a bust as a top ten pick, that doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make anyone too optimistic. Not, not super encouraging there. Yeah, Scotty is he is one of my favorite players to to watch throughout the year. Um, I'd probably say he's my favorite prospect in this draft class. Um, I think he's a guy that I think at the start of January. Um, obviously, big boards don't matter at that point. They only matter like on draft night. But like I think at that point, I was considering him at two. Um, he's a guy with great measurables. I think he's a, a better athlete than, than given credit for at times. Like I've seen some people on Twitter kind of say, oh, he's, he's a bad jumper. And I think, or that he can't jump. And, and I think that's, a um, kind of a false statement because while it doesn't look like he's the most efficient jumper with, with the way he takes off. Um, I think, especially with his length, he more than makes up for it that way. Um, well, like, I believe at the I believe at the combine, his vertical numbers were in that mid thirties yeah. range. So I, I think perfectly solid there. Yeah, and like you could argue, maybe the load up time in an actual game context is not all the way there to a point where it's like, oh, he's a great athlete. But I think he's a more than serviceable athlete, and when you have the kind of length that he has. Um, it's definitely highly impactful athleticism on, on the court. And uh, I think just his overall athleticism, just with the way he, he moves his hips and he, he's able to slide like one guy that I would kind of compare him to, at least at the point of attack is, is OG Ananobi. And that's a little bit, very, actually not a little bit, it's very high praise or very high praise in terms of comparison. Um, I don't think he's at that same level, but I think he's he's pretty close. I'm I'm secretly hoping that the Raptors get uh, get Scotty Barnes yeah. at four, so I can just uh, nerd out on watching Raptors on the Raptors on defense yeah. with with OG Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, and, and Scotty Barnes. But the um, the the interesting thing, you know, I, I mentioned I was a little bit concerned about Wagner as a shooter. And despite the fact that I'm less optimistic about Barnes's shooting ability, the reason it doesn't bother me as much is because I get a sense that Barnes could play some small ball five for teams. And I feel like his defensive versatility, he truly is a one through five switch defender. Whereas Wagner to me is more the two through four and um, Barnes for, for most of the college season seemingly was defending point guards, getting up and, 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 uh, applying great ball pressure. So he can do that. One oh, yeah. thing about him playing, guarding legit point guards and actually disrupting them. Um, one thing is I remember looking at, at his block percentage early in the year and it was like, 
well below 1% block percentage. I was like, what, like what's going on here? And you watch the games. It's like, Oh, he's just switching out on the perimeter every time he's guarding their point guards. Like that's why he's not like around the rim and getting all the blocks, but he, he got over two by the end of the year. Yeah. That's, that's actually what I was going to ask you is, yeah. you know, again, projecting him to potentially be able to, to uh, play kind of a small ball five. Yeah. His, his block rate was, was not good. And yeah, to me, the, the reason for that was just that he's defending, you know, 25 feet from the basket near half court. Uh, but, you know, you see some, some shot blocks, a few of the highlight reels and it's like, okay, this guy has good timing. He's got that great length and athleticism. So you, so I'm guessing you envision that he could be a decent rim protector for a team in a given time. I do think that. And in part it's because of um, his weak side positioning. Like I, I expect him to be in the right places to make those plays. So, I mean, there are, there's going to be matchups where there, where his team's going to say, Hey, we want you to, to guard the primary. Um, but there's going to be times where he is off the ball on the weak side, but I know he's going to be someone who's communicating there and who's going to rotate on time um, and just always try to be helpful in those situations. Um, and he's not someone that's going to uh, duck that responsibility. Like, Oh, this guy's coming down the lane. I'm just going to try to get out of the poster. Like, no, he's going to go up there and he's going to try to contest. Um, yeah. He's just a, an absolute plus on the defensive end. And I think, like, I know most of my scouting is done on film or the, the very large majority is on film. Um, but you can see him communicating all the time. And that constant communication is an NBA-level defensive trait. Um, always talking in transition defense. Um, always talking through switches. Like, I, I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. Uh, a very plus defender at the next level. Yeah. And similar to Cade Cunningham just seems like a good guy, a competitive feisty, uh, feisty player. And so I'm going to throw a comparison at you and uh, you tell me if you think this is kind of silly or not, but I'm, I'm wondering if he can sort of be a, a a slightly different version of, of Ben Simmons in that, he can be really good in transition offensively, grabbing and going. He's a good passer. And then defensively, that versatility. But what I like about Barnes even more than Simmons uh, is that, yeah, I can envision him actually defending at the center position and, and being a rim protector where Simmons is just not much of a shot blocker, not much of a presence at the basket, given that I think Simmons' wingspan is right around his, his height, whereas Barnes – is six nine, but his wingspan I think is seven two, something something around there. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, Simmons. Some of the issues with Simmons uh, in the in the playoffs as well is, you know, he stopped being aggressive going to the basket because of his free throw issues. Now uh, Barnes has some free throw issues of his own. He was only sixty two point one percent. But, you know, we, we've seen guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo where he struggles at the line, but that doesn't prevent him from attacking. So, you know, can Barnes kind of be a, a Ben Simmons type of player with, you know, a little bit more rim protection and a little bit more of that rim pressure style mm-hmm. of play? 
Um, I think so. It, you know, it's hard to to say he's going to be a a better defender than Ben Simmons, considering Ben is an All NBA defender. Um, I think Scotty definitely has that kind of ceiling, where he's consistently on the the All NBA defensive team or one one of the two. Um, also, want to note that like his wingspan, if you round up, it's at seven three. Okay. Yeah. Round up from seven, two and three quarters. So pretty good. Pretty good. I'd say. Yeah. Um, one comparison that, so I think it's a fair comparison. I think, especially right now, where his offensive game is at, like you can see the similarities. I don't know if um, it's hard to judge like mentality wise, the difference is. Um, I mean, some of it you can see on the court with Ben Simmons. Um just some of like the timidness or like the, Oh, I have a dunk, but I'm going to drop it off right here. And yeah. <laughs> um, Barnes is a, is a type of competitor that he'll make the right plays. He'll make the right decisions in those moments, or at least I trust him to um, not that players can't make mistakes, but. And that's, that's another big thing with these prospects too, is, you know, one of the issues and why Ben Simmons maybe has been kind of a, a, a disappointing number one overall pick is because you haven't seen much improvement over his career. Whereas Barnes, you know, those guys that, you know, you see have just the really high motor in college play exceptionally hard, as you said, seem to be really good as far as their communication and leadership. To me, those guys, I, I, typically project those guys as being the ones that uh, will improve their game and continue to work hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So the, the comparison that, that I tend to use for Scotty is a guy that for the most part, I try not to invoke in comparisons because there's only one of him and that's Draymond green. Um, okay. And I think most times we're, we're comparing, Oh, this guy is like a Draymond Green type prospect. It's like, yeah, well, he doesn't have that kind of like specialness on defense where not only is he up for the challenge of guarding one through five, but that he's actual actually capable of it and that he's actually um, like a super high level communicator. But that is something I see from Barnes. Um, like even when he's on the bench, like at FSU, guys are playing like 20 to 25 minutes a game. They're not playing like, you know, the whole game or like high 30 mid to high thirties. Um, he's a guy that's standing up on the bench and he's talking things out for his teammates. He's yelling from the bench at the combine. He was hyping up Raekwon gray, his teammate. So Barnes wasn't playing in the game, but he was at the event and he was still hyping up his guys. Um, so he's someone that, that I believe is just like, on and off the court is going to contribute to team morale. Um, and like, in terms of comparison with Draymond, like defensively, I think it's, it's very, very close in that way. Offensively, I think it's kind of the same with the way he's able to play, make for others know exactly where um, the ball should be going. He'll like, even if he's not, along the perimeter, like he'll be pointing to like where the ball should be going next. Um, I think he's a guy that could absolutely destroy in, in short roll situations. And then maybe a little bit of a separator from green. I think he's much more likely to be able to like score at the rim where Draymond is, is probably a guy who's almost exclusively looking to pass. Um, 
and even then still is is very effective at it. Um, Barnes, I think, is going to have that element of of rim pressure where with his length and if he catches on a short roll, and can get downhill and no one steps in front of him like he's dunking. And, you know, there are multiple dunks throughout the year where, where he put guys on posters um, or even like in transition, just kind of staring guys down before dunking. Um, so I think I think he's going to be pretty effective in those areas, even if the shot doesn't come around. Like I have him at number four, whether or not the shot um, comes around, because I think he's just going to impact the game in so many other ways. Right. And if the shot comes, yeah, uh, I, I still don't necessarily see him as being a primary initiator, but I guess it's possible uh, given his length and athleticism. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the Draymond Green comparison is, is fascinating because yeah, I, I, I love that sort of offensive role for him. And yeah, the, the defense makes a lot of sense. And, and you mentioned the, the finishing for Scotty Barnes, that could be, you know, Draymond has a similar wingspan around seven, two, seven, three as Barnes, but green is also much shorter. He's green's like what? Six, five, six, six, whereas Barnes is six, nine. So just being able to see a little bit over the defense, I think can help around the basket, uh, putting the yeah. ball in. And I think it's fair to say he's probably not going to be a primary initiator. I think just like some of these other guys I have at the top of, of my board, um, just like really big ball handlers that can run some pick and roll in time. Um, one, one thing that I thought was kind of funny was I looked up um, Scotty Barnes uh, similarity score on Bart Torvik's site and it's just a ton of point guards in it. Like you got <laughs> Drew Holiday, John Wall, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Suggs, De'Aaron Fox, Derrick Rose. Like you got a lot of high level point guards in there and Scotty Barnes. And he, he doesn't look like he fits with the rest of these guys, but I think with his level of decision-making, he, he absolutely does. Um, so I think, it is possible he could become that just large, like primary. I think it's a slimmer amount of his distribution of outcomes, but I think it's definitely there and definitely a, a really uh, big reason why he's a, a top five pick in my eyes. Yeah. And, and again, the, the shot is obviously going to be the difference between him becoming a primary or just being a secondary sort of guy. Uh, but one of the things that, again, that, that I prefer when, when I'm thinking about prospects is I would rather have guys with just, you know, one major weakness than a guy that has four or five things that need a ton of work. You know, that's where I get really, really scared off. And there'll be a couple of guys we talk about here later on that, that fit that and, description. And shooting is a thing that you can work on on your own. Whereas like if your issue is decision-making, you need reps like in game or you need like five on five or you need actual bodies like in the gym with you to be like simulating those decisions. Um, so I think the shooting is an easy, easier thing to work on. Not easy necessarily, but easier. Yeah. And you look at a, you look at a, again, not invoking that Scotty Barnes is going to be Kawhi Leonard, but Leonard was another guy that I think, didn't have too many weaknesses. It was really just the jump shot that was a question mark that made him fall to 15th in the draft. 
and he was able to improve it significantly. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is when you can just tell a guy, okay, this is what you need to do. And this is what you should be working on pretty much exclusively when you're spending time off the court, it, it makes it a little bit easier to, to get better at that specific thing. Um, anything else about Scotty Barnes before we move uh, to the next guy on your list? Nope. All right. So this is another one that I, uh, I, I wanted to, I was really excited to talk about because this next guy on your list is a Tennessee guard. Not and, the one maybe you're expecting. And right. I am actually a lot higher on the other Tennessee guy, but uh, you've got Jaden Springer here at, uh, at number five. And uh, so my question to you is, uh, what do you like about Springer more than, say, uh, Keon Johnson? Um, I believe in the, the, the shot and the self-creation more from Springer. Okay. Um, I, think, I think you saw some similarities in their shot selection at Tennessee where they were taking – these mid-range pull-ups. And actually, I don't even dislike Keon's shot, um, but I I liked Springer's um, decision-making a little more once he got into the paint. Um, and the spacing wasn't tremendous at Tennessee, um, but Springer's a guy I trust to, to get deep penetration into the paint and then um, be able to make strong decisions out of that. Um, but I mean, like Keon is is very fun to watch. I just don't know if I I trust the decision making quite as much. Um, I do think though that his decision making is probably going to be pretty simple because he's got the burst to just get by his defender, probably draw one or two other defenders, and then just have to find the open guy, um, like. I can't remember which game it was, but Keon on like a couple plays in a row was just like getting rights, like the nail drawing three defenders and kicking. And that's something I guess I could see uh, from him at the next level, but we're talking about Springer here. Um, So yeah, he's a, he's a guy that I think just has really strong fundamentals, like just the little advantages that you can take on a play by play um, basis. He is someone that is using them. Um, so I think like with, with his handle, um, a guy who's was six, four, um, I think he's has a really strong frame. Um, and I think some people didn't really like his first step. I thought it was fine. Um, I think he's going to be a guy who knows how to set up his defenders to, to get the most out of his first step. Um, and he's a guy that with his level of strength and physicality that he's going to be able to handle contact and uh, possess the ball really well in the paint. And that is going to eventually collapse a defense and he's going to make good decisions, whether it's kicking out or it's finding interior passes to make. Um, I have a collaborative piece with Michael DeStefano. Um, where he kind of, where it's like a non-believer in a scout, where he asks me some questions because he doesn't believe in the prospect that I do. So Springer is one of the guys that we talk about, and he applies some pushback, um, which is appreciated. I think it's always healthy to to have like the devil's advocate. Um, but one guy that 
kind of kept coming to mind when I was watching Springer um, was Jimmy Butler. And he, and it kind of came right off of uh, watching the, the finals last year and seeing how, how Jimmy was just like strong in the mid post or like strong on his drives. And then, you know, getting that kind of attention from the rest of, of the defense and just finding easy ways to get, to get guys open um, by just like possessing the ball physically and strongly in the paint. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be Michael in this segment. And, yeah. and, I'm sure there's a lot of Michaels out there right now. <laughs> uh, give, give my reasons for why I'm, I'm higher on Keon for one. You mentioned Jaden Springer, just six, four. He's got a six, six wingspan. Mm-hmm. Keon Johnson, six, five, but six, eight wingspan. So I feel like the, just the, the difference in length there makes Keon Johnson a little bit more capable of defending on the wing. Whereas I look at Springer as more of a pure guard or even like a combo guard in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the athleticism difference. I think Springer is a very good athlete, but Keon Johnson is just, you know, he's one of the best athletes in this draft. Another galaxy. Really? Yeah, he posted a, a, just in another galaxy, posted a 48-inch vertical, a 41.5-inch standing vertical. I mean, those are just off the charts, just unreal. And, you know, I guess the other thing, too, is you you said you like Springer's shooting more than Johnson, and I agree with that. But I question how big of a difference there is. You know, yes, yeah, Springer shot 43% from three, but it was just on 1.8 attempts per game. It mm-hmm. was... 20 of 48 and Keon Johnson shot. I, I don't think it looks broken. Like if you're comparing Johnson to somebody like, you know, Scotty Barnes, I trust Keon Johnson shot way more than Barnes. He's got a high release on it. Uh, he showed some decent touch on post fadeaways. And uh, the, the other thing that, that I just love about Keon Johnson is that even if the shot doesn't come around, he showed that, He's a, an effective cutter. He's an effective offensive rebounder. He's an effective transition player. And again, that versatility to defend, uh, you know, those bigger wings, I think is going to be, is just more valuable than a, than a good guard defender that Springer is. So the, the, the last thing I had in my notes about these two is, you know, they, they both kind of struggled at times offensively and, uh, I, I did not, again, I, I do not watch much college basketball throughout the year, but I did catch a game or two of Tennessee in, Mar- in the March Madness run. Yeah. And their the offense run. was just one of the worst offenses I think I have ever seen from a schematic standpoint. Yeah, it was, it was tough to watch at times. Um, and you got other, so like defensively, <clears throat> they were like, uh, very physical, overly physical almost. Um, but yeah, offensively, it was, it was a struggle for a lot of, a lot of each game. Um, I think a lot for both of those guys, I think their shot selection was fairly poor. Um, just ending up like, I don't think it was necessarily their fault every time, but like possessions just ending up with like tough mid-range shots. Um, and this is one thing that I thought Springer was better at going into the year. Um, and that's one of the differences for me between Springer and Keon is I didn't watch Keon's high school or AAU tape going into the year. I did for Springer. 
Um, so I have a little bit more certainty with where I'm at with Springer versus Keon. Um, and one thing I thought was going to work better for Springer was these short paint pull-up shots. Um, it's something that I thought Jimmy Butler was really good at where he'd get into the paint, go off of two and either like find a pass or like throw off the timing of his defender and just get off this like little paint fade away or like at the mid post or, or shoot those shots. Springer did not hit those with as much efficiency as I thought he would. Um, I still liked the way it looked at times, but it was like the shot was short at times, which is not what I saw at IMG. Um, I really liked it at IMG where he could just apply a little bump or a little bit of physicality on his drive for a little bit of separation. And he's got really good elevation on his shot. Um, I think Keon has a similar like mid range game where he's able to just like rise up over the top of defenders. Um, I just don't think Keon plays with as much physicality as I, as I would have liked. Um, and I think the decision-making for me is kind of the big difference. Part of it is the, um, the IMG tape from Springer, like, just comparing assist to turnover ratios, they're pretty similar. Keon was just below one at 0.94 and, and Springer was 1.2. Um, so neither, <clears throat> neither was really that great. Um, but I think the, the Tennessee offense kind of like limited their options at times. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the understatement of the century. Again, looking yeah. at that offense, that was just horrid. And yeah, they were not running anything intricate. And uh, uh, was it Rick Barnes, I believe, is the coach yep. of, uh, of Tennessee. And for a guy that uh, I think has a decent reputation, that was one of the worst uh, offensive systems I've I've stumbled across in watching yeah. basketball as of late. But uh, yeah, the I, I do think Keon Johnson is a little bit more raw from a skill standpoint than Springer at this stage but um it's it's another situation where I don't really see either of them as a guy that's going to be on the ball a lot at the next level you probably disagree with that as far as Springer is concerned but yeah, I would yeah one one of the things with Springer that concerns me about him being a primary guy or even a secondary guy is he seemed to be very reliant on sort of two foot jump stops to finish mm -hmm. at the rim and with with NBA length and athleticism, not being able to you know jump off the wrong foot or just do a quick one footed jump to get to the rim rim before the defense arrives is is a problem, I think. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, I would I would probably say that for me, at least the two foot finishing and just playing off two feet in general, um, I actually see that as a as a positive. Um, I think you could argue that not not going off of one foot as often is the, the absence of the one foot finishing um, is kind of a, a ding for Springer. Um, but I do like the way he plays off too. Um, I think it's a way that gives him more options. Is he going to get his shot blocked every once in a while? Yes. Um, I think, but like someone like um, Keon, he's got both. He's got both going off one or two. He can dunk off one or two. He can put someone on a poster off one or two. Right. Um, but I think I like him more playing off the ball, attacking closeouts. I like Johnson a lot more than, than I do. Springer. Yeah, very explosive there. Um, 
but I think Springer playing off too, he can um, make better decisions that way as well. Keon Johnson, I felt like most of his weaknesses, his the things you are concerned about are kind of aggression based. His foul rate, his turnover, is some of his shot selection. It's a lot to me of like just having a, a uh, you know having a, a high confidence level, which those things I don't mind as much as some other weaknesses. Yeah, so they both had strong free throw rates over forty, um, and then I trust. Uh, Springer's free throw percentage a lot more. He's he's at eighty one percent, whereas Kiana uh, just over seventy. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I'm not out on Kiana as a prospect. Um, I think you said raw earlier. Like that's kind of how I'd categorize him. And it's just I don't necessarily like. I get that a lot of teams and a lot of people who scout really like the just supreme athleticism and like I can't deny it it's it's incredible to watch um it's just not something I think is the most important trait um when when rating prospects yeah no I I completely agree and I guess the 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 other thing again one more one more thing about Keon Johnson, you know, we, we throw out the term raw a lot, but when, when I say raw about Keon, I'm specifically focused on the offensive end, his ball mm-hmm. handling, his shooting, his decision-making. He's not raw defensively. He's an athlete. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's very disciplined and fundamentally sound yeah. on that end as is Springer. Yeah. I think comparatively for those two defensively, I think Springer has a little bit um, more chops than you give him credit for in terms of guarding wings. Um, I get that he's not the as long as Keon. Um, I would wrong. He's really strong. Springer. Yeah, yeah. They are both extremely physical, so they both play bigger than they are. Um, so I would, I'd like both of them to be able to like guard one through three. Um, I mean, some of the really big wings, you know, are probably just going to shoot over Springer. Um, but he's going to make it tough. And there were several matchups in high school where Springer was guarding Cade. Um, I wish we could have got it in the tournament if Tennessee just took care of business. Yeah. Um, but like he was guarding Cade super admirably and like Cade's just a, a really special player. So he still, you know, scored at times, but I really think Springer can make it difficult for those guys in kind of the same way that, Drew Holiday is able to make things difficult for for some of those wi- big wings. Yeah, I, I saw a comparison of like uh, Springer to Marcus Smart, for instance, and I understand kind of the the idea. Length is a big difference there. Yeah, like they're both strong. They've got similar height, but I think Smart has a six nine wingspan, whereas Springer yeah. is six six. And yeah, you 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 said it. Where my concern defensively for Springer is just if he's especially, yeah, if you've got him switched onto a three or four, just those guys being able, like a Paul George, just shooting right over the top. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting discussion. You made some some good points. Um, I, I still like Johnson more, but, yeah. It's okay I'm, to disagree. It's, yeah, it's so exactly. good. Um, so let's, let's move on then to the next guy. And this is, uh, this is a guy that I think a lot of people have pretty high up and there's even been some rumors that Detroit might just take him number one over Cunningham. And uh, there's also been a lot of heat around the Houston Rockets wanting to take him over Mobley at number two. 
and that is the G League Ignites Jalen Green. What are your thoughts on on this prospect? Yeah, Jalen Green just – I mean, we talked about it with, with uh, Keon. You know, those two are, are the top two athletes in this draft class. Um, and Green just showed it every game with the G League Ignite. Just absolutely absurd burst. Like, he can get downhill versus anyone, and you can't really stop him. Like, even if you slide your feet well, he will eventually turn the corner on you. Um, let's see. What, like, And then just finishing at the rim as well. Just some pretty spectacular finishes at times. Hanging and finishing. Um, in terms of, like, his athletic profile and translation to the league, like, He's going to be just fine there. Yeah, he uh, he is an amazing – he's a highlight reel waiting to happen. Yes. And uh, yes. if you ask me, I think, you know, again, speaking just to pure potential, p- possible ceiling, this isn't what I expect him to get to, but I think in terms of that potential, he might have the highest ceiling offensively of anybody in this draft given his athleticism and his uh, his skill set already where he's shown that he can hit a reasonable amount of threes from NBA range. Uh, you mentioned his ability to turn the corner against just about anybody. So, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if he's averaging 20 points a game in his rookie yeah. year in the NBA. Yeah. I would I would adjust that phrasing to um, he's got the highest scoring ceiling. Okay. Um, yeah. Because like, I think I would still argue Cade and Mobley have a higher – complete offensive ceiling um green yeah but in terms of scoring like green's one of let's see yeah he might be the best scoring prospect in this draft in my eyes um like i wouldn't be very shocked at all if he he averaged 20 points in his first year um he's smooth in ways that were that reminded me a bit of like a bradley beal yeah, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, that kind of type. Um, he's probably got he's in terms of like the athletic spectrum, he's closer to Zach Levine than, yeah. than Bradley Beal. Um, let's see, one scout said he, he said he has million dollar legs, and you can definitely see that. Um, and one thing that um was particularly like interesting about his athletic profile was like just how low he's able to get on those drives so we talk about like that downhill burst like he's able to get that a uh, standstill like in terms of his excel acceleration like he's so low and he's exploding and getting a little bit faster on every step and that's a trait that you just don't see with many guys like some guys have their first step and now that's the speed that they're going at for the rest of their drive like for green it's like great first step and then like each uh step after that is is a little bit more explosive he's getting even faster on those drives um yeah and and you could see that against legitimate g league competition um like legitimate nba defenders like it was it was really impressive to watch the whole time um throughout that season i I watched every game and and like and that's just talking mostly about his driving. Like, like you mentioned with his, his shooting, like he shot 36 and a half percent from three, but a lot of those were off the dribble. He was getting separation going backwards. He was pulling up like 
it was all very, very impressive. And, and he's a guy that I think will continue to score that way. And, and the, the one thing, and the reason why I have him more at, uh, more at the mid, mid lottery. Yeah. You had him at six, I believe. Yeah. Mid lottery would be the, the decision-making. So, I mean, I do think that with the way he's able to score, it's very possible that um, the playmaking is going to be become easier for him because it's just going to be a lot more obvious because guys are just going to – or team, teams are just going to send two at him um, and the, the decisions are going to become easy for him. Um, but in terms of just like initiating offense on a play-by-play basis, I don't know if I buy green as that primary initiator moving forward as like the staple of your team. Um, I thought some of his like pick and roll reads were a little bit um, almost rehearsed where like he would come off a screen and he would throw a wraparound pass to the roller, but the tag was there and the, and that defender would just steal that ball where like he obviously just threw it because it, it, it almost looked more like he was going through a rep versus, oh, I'm actually looking and reading the tag, seeing if it's there, and then making the um, the the next read out of it. So, I mean, I think he's still got a lot of room to grow there, and I think that's a harder area to grow with than just being able to to learn how to shoot. But he's definitely got the shooting in his bag already. Yeah, so I was listening to uh, the the Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. He had John Hollinger on. And one of the things John mentioned that I thought was interesting, I want to get your take, is the idea that he he sort of feels less confident in rating and evaluating Jalen Green because he was on the G League Ignite. And we've never really had this situation before where these these high-level, top-ten-level prospects play a whole season in the G League instead of college basketball. Whereas Chad brought, you know, said, well, a lot of a lot of scouts have told me it's the exact opposite, that yeah. they feel more confident because they're running NBA sets. They've got the NBA three-point line. They're playing against a higher level of competition. Where do you sort of fit on that? Do you feel more or less confident in your evaluation of him given he played for the G League? I definitely feel more confident. Um, I really like the setting, like, and the stats that you get, they're from NBA three-point line. And then in terms of just, like, playing against legit NBA defenses or or legit NBA defensive schemes, um, I think we're, we're important to seeing how green would translate versus, like, oh, no, Tennessee is going up against a two, three zone in this certain game or whatever. So, I mean, like in in my eyes, it makes for a lot cleaner translation and just playing with other NBA players as well. Um, Being able to see how he would play off of like a veteran NBA point guard and Jarrett Jack versus, you know, playing in college versus maybe he's got another freshman point guard who doesn't really know how to initiate or something or being an offense like the Tennessee offense. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Um, Or, and just having the freedom to, Oh, you can go ahead and try these step back threes. Um, Whereas like maybe you, you take a couple early in the season and then your college coach says, Nope, you're not taking any of those shots because that's not helping us win versus 
playing with the ignite where the whole point of it is to you know stretch these prospects and and use this as like an experimental time um for them so like i i really enjoyed that that context and and also being able to like see some of the other the prospects that that i scouted last year and be able to see their growth in the g league so um I thought overall it was much better than, than college. Yeah. The, um, you made a great point in terms of rephrasing what I said and saying that he's got the highest scoring ceiling as opposed to highest offensive ceiling in part because, yeah, and, and we've seen it with guys like the, the guys we compared him to and Zach Levine and Bradley Beal. They've been able to put up these really lofty points per game totals. But at the end of the day, it's about – making the offense elite it's not about your statistics being elite and those guys have yet to really prove that uh that their scoring really is a huge difference maker for an nba offense and you know both of those guys have improved as a passer i imagine jalen green will improve at that as well but you know with those guys coming to the league as well as green the passing, the playmaking, the making other guys better is not sort of a natural skill like it is for someone like a Luka Doncic or somebody that we'll talk about later in, in Josh Giddy. Yeah. And it's and it's not natural, like you said, just because it's Green's natural inclination to like be aggressive. Um, and I imagine whichever team picks him is picking him because they like that about him. That Every time he touches the ball, he is a threat. As soon as the leather touches his fingertips, he can rise up right away or he's going to blow by you. Like he's putting immediate pressure on that primary defender. Um, I just think there are like you mentioned Levine, guys like Beal or even Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think that kind of category of player is tough to be like your your number one guy. Right. Um, I think they're all like I know Levine hasn't had the kind of team success yet in his career, but like all those guys are the type of guys that elite playoff teams like they need one of those guys. I don't know if that guy can be their number one guy, but having that bucket getter as your number two or number three guy like that's where they start to provide the most value. Cause like they get pegged as these empty calorie guys. Cause they're scoring 20 to 25 points a game throughout the regular season, but their team isn't any good. Well, it's because they're not like leading the entire offense. They're just scoring all the tough buckets and doing it on a reasonable efficiency. Those buckets are needed come playoff time, but you still also need that, that game manager. And that game manager, I think is a lot more valuable at six, eight or six, nine, like some of these other guys I have above green. The situation you just described was, is Devin Booker on the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Devin Booker is just this, you know, great scorer. And, and I, I don't want to uh, diminish his yeah. improvement as a yeah. passer as well, but you know, now that he's got Chris Paul surrounding him and a, and a good supporting cast, his scoring is allowing them to compete and, and potentially yeah. win the NBA championship. And, uh, and I, so I think Devin Booker was in this category, you know, last season and, and of course in previous seasons, but I, I legitimately think he might be moving on, you know, once, you know, I don't know how long Chris Paul's going to be in Phoenix or if he uh, signs a new contract there or whatever, but 
I mean, seeing how Devin Booker's playmaking has has been enhanced this past year and in the playoffs, I think Devin Booker might be elevating himself to like possibly be that number one guy um, with the way because like watching him through the regular season, you could see him pass up shots that he probably could have taken to get better shots. And that's, you know, him developing his uh, like game manager um, type leadership throughout a whole regular season and into the playoffs. So I think I would probably still lean that he's in the same group with those other guys that I mentioned, but I think he might be moving on to that next level where I think he, he possibly could be a number one guy. Yeah. But again, like in terms of, you know, a championship sort of roster, the role he's in as kind of secondary score off ball mm-hmm. score, I think Le- is, is the ideal role for someone like a Beal, a Levine and a Jalen mm-hmm. green. And uh, so that is a bit concerning when you talk about a team like Detroit or Houston, taking him to kind of be their main guy. Yeah. Um, and, and we haven't even really gotten into the, the defensive side of the ball with green, but that's where I'm especially concerned. It seems like from, from what I've, uh, what I've watched, there were a lot of sort of defensive lapses and issues and uh, a, a lack of effort at times, which could come with the whole idea of he's got this big burden offensively and therefore is kind of trying to preserve energy on the other end. So I actually had kind of the completely opposite view of of his defense um, throughout the season. So like early on, you could tell he you could tell he was like a, a rookie essentially. Um, so G League Ignite played a lot uh, of ice coverage, and he was a guy that you know wasn't doing his work early, so he wasn't there on the screen or in position for the screen. So then he's jumping out to get an ice position. That's when the ball handler would just like quickly reject. Um, and then he'd be left in the dust on that play. Um, but I don't think the effort was lacking at all, to be honest. He's a guy that, you know, if he just mailed it in on the defensive side of the floor, he'd still be a top five pick. But I thought he was someone that was working hard. Um I guess Either effort might have been a strong word. It was mostly from what I – the clips that I saw, it might have been more just ball-watching stuff where he loses yeah. track of his – Lack guy. of focus. Yeah. Could, yeah that, that could be a um, a ding on him. But, yeah, I thought, like, you know, considering the kind of offensive load that, that you mentioned, um, I thought he, he played with great stamina on both ends. Um great energy and you could see the growth in his defense throughout the year where it's or like throughout that that bubble season where by the end of the year you know he was in position for 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 the ice coverage like at the time he needed to be he was working over the screen and working back in front of the ball handlers like I thought the effort was always there and it is something that I didn't really expect from him going into that season like like I mentioned, like, I don't think he needed to play defense defense in order to um, still be in the conversation for uh, like a, a top five pick. And, and so I, I think he could be a, a pretty good defender. And like, even on like the perimeter, like, I don't know what his length is. I don't know if he had that measurement at the combine. 
No, he didn't get measured. He's uh, six five, right? As far as height. Yeah, six five, six 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 ish. Um, fairly long, but like with how with his athletic gifts, like he was, you know, quick to get deflections on passes and stuff like that. Like, and if he gets those deflections or gets steals and he's in transition, like you better get out of the way because he's gonna dunk on you, kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I was actually very left, very impressed with his defense. Like there's still plenty of work to go through, but he's young. And that was kind of his first taste of NBA defense. That's also a reason why I think the G League Ignite was such a great developmental place for him. Now he's he's pretty much a year up on a lot of these other prospects in terms of um, understanding how how quick the the rotations have to be. Um, and how on time you have to be with all those. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you would, you would state that you are like higher, lower, or kind of right at the consensus on, on Jalen green, but, uh, would, it sounds to me like, yeah, you're a little bit higher on his defense than most of what I've heard, but then maybe just a little bit lower on the offensive impact that his scoring can have at the next level. That's a fair way to, to phrase it. Yes. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does a d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.